Broadcasting from the heart of downtown Hollywood. This is SoFloRadio.com. As a matter of fact, I swallowed one of these about two hours ago. And the explanation is that it is in fact my hand. Everything, it seemed, was all right. And that is a record. Get out of that groove and you've had it. It's amazing. The track is a groove. You know, it really is amazing. Judging it just right through the groove. You know, it really is amazing. Well, yes, but what if you get out of that groove? Oh, well, then I'm in trouble. He's got too much skin in the game and he's dumping his position. What if he's right? You want him to be right. Yes, I do. And this guy walks into my office and says, I can profit off of their stupidity. Fuck, yeah, I want him to be right. I mean, how come you don't hate this guy? He's everything you taught us not to trust. I can't hate him. He is so transparent in his self-interest that I kind of respect him. Would I buy a car from him? No. 
that, baby? Good afternoon and welcome to the Groove of Time. We're back, baby. Yeah, man. I am Tony C. And as always, I'm joined live in the studio by the master of production and engineering. The man who makes sure that our groove is satiny smooth and who handles all the stuff that glues the show together. That's why he's not just one George. He is Los Georges. The more the merrier. How you doing, pal of mine? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, 2000. To you too. You think this is going to be the year that uh, Groove officially permeates the soul of our nation? I mean, if, if wishing, if only wishing made it so, you know what I'm saying? Yes, would that that were true. Would that that were true. Of course, every Groovathon centers around an attitude of gratitude. Mucho mahalo to everybody tuning in live and downloading the show here in America and around the world, y'all. What did you do for New Year's Eve? You have a nice New Year's Eve? I had a very uh, quiet n- uh, New Year's Eve with uh, <laughs> some friends and family. And, uh, and yeah. No, I, was like, yeah, I went to Revolution and saw oh, the Bad right. Fish. Oh, that's right. I saw, that's right. I saw, I saw that. I went to Bad Fish and, uh, you know, we were blitzed and, uh, and we had a good time. And no moshing this time. Because, not not for good. me. I've had a lot of mosh stories from Revolution. <laughs> We're too old for that. And uh, and, and no, I, I would have, but it, I went to so much trouble to get the drink that I had, and I had to, and and I lost. I know a, in that place, I lost a drink at the Ministry concert there. Right uh, on, on the I'm outside. Thinking about places. going to Revolution a week from tonight the, is uh, called Dennis. And, and I just, I just, so. I wanted to drink, and I had my. Oh, this is New Year's Eve. Yeah, so I right. celebrated. I celebrated by stocking up on a lot of deli meats, triple locking the door, and then. Binging on the final season of Banshee, so I still haven't haven't dived into uh, season uh, season four of uh, Peaky Blinders yet. Okay, well, the thing is, my a bunch of people, my mom and a couple friends of mine, have said watch it all at once. You watch sure. it like over well, the course any, of like, anything like that, because yeah, then you get the continuity. Well, it's only six episodes too, so you can do like three on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Three on, so I'm waiting for like the thing is, I have to wait until the rainy season again when the weather weather gets shitty. Because right now, how nice this is it. Uh, yeah, extremely nice. This is the weather you dream about. Like it's, it's seventy degrees out there, and 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 just enough right cloud breeze, cover to clouds, to exactly. uh, to make it interesting. Right out of the Simpsons opening, right there, you know, yeah. with the light cloud cover and everything. You make any uh, New Year's uh, resolutions? Yeah, I'm gonna. My new hobby this year is uh, to make some money. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay yeah. then. Preoccupy I, myself with that. I'll, I'll tell you the thing. I I actually made. You know, one of the New Year's resolutions I made, and I'll tell you something, this new world that we're living in, where the word shithole yeah. and the term shit show sure. can be said on any channel at any time and then falsely compared for the purpose of unwarranted righteous indignation, let's just say that I am struggling with trying to yeah. adhere to my New Year's resolution. i got more on that of, later. Of, of saying shithole less? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, right. No, on, on you know... Venomous castigation of others. I'm, I'm trying. I am going for civility. Oh, okay. Good. It's, good. Yeah, that's I'm a trying. good. I- that's a good idea. You know, I'm I'm all for it. I stumbled. This one here's. I stumbled across a new word on the last show. I was talking about um, Garland Jeffries' brand new CD, uh, 14 Steps to Harlem, and I said he was a musical rock on tour. What he is is a rock on tour. Oh, R O C K. Uh, O-N-T-E-U-R, a rock on tour, defined as someone who tells great stories with rock and roll. A rock on tour. So, you know, since the last show that we did was uh, the year-end nothing but groove and gratitude show, and thus devoid of negativity, mm. except for except for one little smidgen about Nina Simone, and I'm going to make up for that today. 
I have found I have found a way to to do a an on air musically based Mia Culpa. Okay. Okay. And, and it took some. It it took a little digging. A, a Nina Culpa. A Nina Culpa. There it is. But uh, you know, because we haven't done like a, a bitch and moan show in combination with uh, Top Flight Groove. Needless to say, we have got a lot to get to today, including Papa John gets sent to his room with nothing but his shitty sauce, as the NFL and NASDAQ collectively call him son, and not because he shines so bright. Car dealers in Missouri and Illinois take their cue from the fossil fuel cartels by bringing a lawsuit against Tesla in order to try and thwart progress so they can continue making money the old-fashioned way, all while Elon Musk builds a battery the size of a football field in less than 100 days. The U.S. economy steps up to the plate and gets ready to swing at a nasty curve in the dirt. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission tells Bob Murray to stick his action plan where the sun don't shine, which, ironically, is the same place he likes his coal company employees to be stuck. Hedge fund bazillionaire Stephen Cohn scrapes together $1.8 billion from under, the, under his couch cushions, and voila! Two years later, it's meet the new crook, same as the old crook. Also, uh, I'm going to take Jenk Uger uh, out to the grow house. I'm going to snatch the gavel out of his hand and then beat him mercilessly, mercilessly with it. As I am once again forced to explain why I don't believe now is the right time for weed to be made legal nationally, period. Plus, Monty Python with the latest rock gossip headlines. Steve Martin touches up Humphrey Bogart's wardrobe. And a little later on, I'll get down with the sickness and bitch about the bitchiness. Of course, all of that is going to be surrounded by the finest, most diverse groove anywhere on the air. It is just past 2 o'clock in the only Hollywood that doesn't have someone who's staggeringly, staggeringly unqualified hinting at a run for president. Yeah! <laughs> Hollywood! Florida, that is. <laughs> that means it's just past 9 a.m. on the Big Island. Aloha to Gary and the Kyle crew who spent... 38 minutes Saturday morning thinking a North Korean ballistic missile was headed their way and probably <laughs> couldn't have cared less on the Big Island. Okay. Uh, let me see. Just past 7 at night, Dublin, Lytham, St. Anne, and the rest of Western Europe. And yeah, just past 10 o'clock in Istanbul, Turkey, where RCG is keeping the groove flag flying at full mast. Yo, Gramps, you ready to get this new year started right? I'm ready. How about quickly? You ready to get it started quickly? <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. Yeah, yeah. Strafe me, baby. Well, then saddle oh, up and God, stick around. We're going to kick off 2018 with Black Market Karma at the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com.
Stardust lead electric triangle with Toad the Wet Sprocket has had to have an elbow removed following their recent successful worldwide tour of Finland. Flamboyant, ambidextrous Rex apparently fell off the back of a motorcycle. Fell off the back of a motorcyclist, most likely, quipped ace drummer Jumbo McClooney on hearing of the accident. Plans are already afoot for a major tour of Iceland. Divorced after only eight minutes, popular television singing star Charisma changed her mind on the way out of the registry office when she realised she'd married one of the donkeys by mistake. The evening before, in L.A.'s glittering night spot, the Abattoir, she had proposed to drummer Reg Abbott of Blind Drunk, after a whirlwind romance and a knee trembler. But when the hangover lifted, it was Keith Sly of the donkeys who was on her arm in the registry office. Keith, who was too ill to notice, remained unsteady during the short ceremony, and when asked to exchange vows, began to recite names and addresses of people who also used the stuff. Charisma spotted the error as Keith was being carried into the wedding ambulance and became emotionally upset. However, the mistake was soon cleared up and she stayed long enough to consummate their divorce. Dead monkeys are to split up again, according to their manager, Lefty Goldblatt. They've been in the business now ten years, nine as other groups. Originally the dead salmon, they became for a while trout, then fried trout, then poached trout in a white wine sauce, and finally herring. Splitting up for nearly a month, they reformed as red herring, which became dead herring for a while, and then dead loss, which reflected the current state of the group. Splitting up again to get their heads together, they reformed a fortnight later as Heads Together, a tight little name which lasted them through a difficult period when their drummer was suspected of suffering from death. It turned out to be only a rumour and they became Dead Together, then Dead Gear, which led to Dead Donkeys, Lead Donkeys and the inevitable split-up. After nearly ten days, they reformed again as Soul Meunier, then Dead Soul, Rock Cod, Turbot, Haddock, White Bait, The Places, Fish, Bream, Mackerel, Salmon, Poached Salmon, Poached Salmon in a White Wine Sauce, Salmon Meunier and Helen Shapiro. This last name, their favourite, had to be dropped following an injunction and they split up again. When they reformed after a record-breaking two days, they ditched the fishy references and became Dead Monkeys, a name which they stuck with for the rest of their careers. Now, a fortnight later, they finally split up.
How about that? The Sweet Vandals. Moving on from their 2011 CD, So Clear. Those guys are from Spain. But, uh, you know, as I've been saying, lots of groovy, you know, authentic stuff coming from Europe, man. You know, all those bands, the Boogaloos, the uh, Shaolin Temple Defenders, um, the Poets of Rhythm. All those guys, man, they're, you know... They're they're funky. They're, leave it leave it to the Ferners for yeah, holding, leave holding it to it the down. They're they're picking up that mantle. Before that, the Go Getters, uh, Bourbon Train. Welcome to Sin City. That's back from two thousand and one. Those guys are from yeah Sweden. That's right, baby. Cold shout sense. out shout out to Duncan and but in the sun. All right, that is uh, the term for that. I, I found that is neo rockabilly. Neo okay rockabilly. So you learn something new every day. Before that, yeah. Rock and roll, by definition, the Sonic shot down from their album, Boom, back in 1966. Those guys are still kicking ass 50 years later. That album came out in 66. In 2016, or no, 2015, actually, they came out with um, a new track called Bad Betty, which kicks ass. I mean, it sounds just like they did 50 years ago. Best thing. People think that Hendrix is the best thing out of, out of, out of Washington State. No, mm-hmm. it's the Sonics. I know, I know. I'm going to get shit for that. I am, but it's the science before that. Monty Python rock notes. The funniest thing about that is so-and-so, the lead triangle player for Toad the West Rock. <laughs> Not the rhythm triangle player. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Lead triangle. <laughs> Don't sound <laughs> short. Then they changed their name to Sol Meunier. <laughs> and now it's like, then they, they, was it, they, got, they, they settled on a name, and that was their name. Uh, that was the last name they settled on for the rest of their careers. And then 14 days later, they broke up again. The rest of their careers was 14 days. Boy, that cool in the gang. Let the music take your mind from Live at the Sex Machine, 1971. Great instrumental version of that by uh, Grey Boy All-Stars uh, on their, I think it's their first CD. Uh, West Coast Boogaloo, which got uh, uh, Fred Wesley on trombone. And I was just mentioning this earlier. Uh, a week from tonight at Revolution, mm-hmm. Carl Dennison. Uh, is playing called Dennis Hunt Universe with DJ Logic. Uh, okay. Some other people. Yeah, so I'm thinking about uh, hoofing it over to that show in downtown Fort Lauderdale. That should be a groovy time for all. Before that, promo, P-R-O-M-O-E. That is off the records. 12-inch from 1999. This guy came out with. He was uh, originally part of a band uh, called Loop Troop. And do you know where they're from? Yeah. No. Sweden. No. Yes. You didn't even want to be here. to be horrible. I knew a Swedish girl. She said, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, don't well, do it. The Swedish chef thing. I when I when I was we Swedish, love you. We love you, Swedish. We, love, we do. Right, we yeah. love the Swedish. Please don't. No. No. Yeah, don't. It's don't. Absolutely don't. not a shithole country, right. and, and and we all actually agree. Yeah, <laughs> we all agree on yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want to agree with Trump. No. So there you go. A little more. And um, you know, when I when I heard that song, my, my first thought was, yeah, this is what Modest Yahoo would sound like if he was actually cool. Oh, <laughs> man, I like Modest. I do too. I like, I like his older stuff. <laughs> <laughs> When he was, no, yeah, no, when he was orthodox, and uh, you know, he he shaved his payas, and now he's like, yeah, I don't know. Ah, yeah, I know. You got rid, you got rid of that. So, yeah, man, the dreadlocks. I don't know. Coincidence? The dreadlocks, but that's spelled that's spelled D R E A D L O X. Yes, the dreaded, the dreaded locks. Yeah, but it's locks. (laughs) Yes, I I get it. Yeah, you got that one. And kicking off the set, Black Market Karma, run, run, run from their 2012 release, Comatose. Those guys are from uh, London on uh, Flower Power Records. These guys are fucking, you know, there are some people out there in the, in the history of music that are prolific. You know, Frank Zappa, James Brown, these guys were coming out. You know, I mean, I have every Frank Zappa 
record. I have every James Brown record. And these guys are coming out with an album a year. These guys, Black Market Karma, I'm pretty sure that they came out with six albums, full-length, all-original albums in five years. Holy fuckballs. The guy who writes all the music and the guy who's the uh, head of the band is a guy named Stanley Belton. So in the prolific writing department, and, you know, it's all groovy stuff. It really mm-hmm. is. You know, it all sounds like that. If you like, if you like that, and I do, okay, mm-hmm. black market karma, man. Go out and get some of that stuff because it's pretty darn cool, and they're they're still recording. So they've got a lot of stuff out there, and they're coming out with new stuff. So you can catch up and then mm-hmm. keep up. Great. So there you go. All right. We've been away. Mm-hmm. It's a new year. So what caught my eye recently? Well, for one thing, I just wanted to, to point this out. Crude oil opened at 64.30 today. Yes, that's right. So it's up over $10 a barrel in the last two months. So I was only slightly early in my prediction because I said this was going to happen in mid-December. Okay. Okay. So I was only a little bit off. So I, I, I was right, but just I, I needed a little bit more time. But I said $60 a barrel was the target price for the end of the year. It was 64.30, so there you go. Economists concerned about what may come. Could the curve be warning of a U.S. recession? The curve they're talking about here is something called the yield curve. Um, basically, this is one of those things that economy wonks, like myself, mm-hmm. get into. It is a harbinger of the future. Now, the way it works is this. When you buy bonds, okay, mm-hmm. the longer the length of the bond, the higher the interest rate. Okay. okay, because right. you're tying up your money mm-hmm. for a longer period of time, so you get a better payback. So what they look at um, is the difference between the two-year bond and the ten-year bond. So the two the ten-year bond should have a higher yield mm-hmm. than the two-year bond. Well, the spread um, between uh, the the two and ten-year bonds fell from 135 basis points, which in December of 2016, so basically a year ago, mm-hmm. as of December just a month ago, it was only 51 basis points, okay? And that is the lowest spread in basis points between the two and 10-year bonds um, since October 2007. We all know what happened just after that, right? Yeah, the crash. Yep. This is the thing, and they're, they're really scared about it becoming inverted because that means that people have no positive expectation for future Money, so they're willing to only do short-term investment. Nobody wants to. That's the real fear that the the curve goes flat. Mm-hmm. So something to keep an eye out on. Another thing that we've been that I was you know looking at consumer credit card debt increased to eleven increased eleven point two billion dollars in November, the largest monthly increase in a year according to the latest Federal Reserve data. Consumers now own a mountain of credit card debt in excess of one trillion. That is the highest level since before the 2008 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Consumer spending jumped 2.7% last year, while real disposable income rose 1.9%. So we are now officially spending 0.8% more money than we're making as a nation. That's not the the government. That's like us. Us. Meanwhile, the savings rate for consumers dropped to just 2.9% as of November versus 6% two years ago. Okay, the only time that Americans have been saving less money than they are today, okay, was between 1929 and 1931, which was the height of the, you know, the The Great Great Depression. Depression. So total consumer debt increased to $3.8 trillion, 
which is the largest monthly increase in debt in 16 years. And student debt and auto loans are up, rose to $16.8 billion in November, up more than 7% from the same period a year ago. I point all of this out because at the beginning of the year, uh, in 2017, I said, you know, the stock market's going up. Everybody looks great. And I said, watch out. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on these numbers. I said it last year. I said, start watching um, the, uh, I think it's Morgan Stanley Chase has a number that they come out with that it gauges all of the large investment firms and whether they are long on mm-hmm. the stock market or short on the stock market, whether they have more bets on companies going up than they do on going down. Okay, and I was looking at it, and I said, start watching during the summer for that, and sure as the sun rises in the east, that number started to go down. So I thought, you know, i just spread a little economic sunshine on your day to start the show. I thank you. You know, I'm here for you. I, you know, at least nothing else. Uh, judge sides with Tesla. Slams Dealer Association. This is interesting. Um, Tesla began selling electric cars directly to consumers. They don't have stores. Mm-hmm. Okay? And... Um, they basically they've had to play they've had to deal with the the franchise law okay basically car dealers car manufacturers have always relied on car dealers sure okay tesla scored a decisive victory when the missouri court of appeals reversed a lower court's ruling that would have left tesla without a state dealer license and basically they have a, a license to deal cars but they don't have an actual physical dealer Mm-hmm. There, yeah. they ship the cars, and it goes through a an agent. There, they don't have a showroom where you can go. Sure, this is going on, okay, in states, um, Missouri, Good. Illinois. Good, okay, and all of these states. They, the the quote here was, um, they have uh, Tesla's had to play franchise law whack a mole mm-hmm. in, in multiple states. That's what these guys were saying. And until such a time as the legislature expands its present judicial oversight restrictions relating to the Department of Licensing. Blah, 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 where the plans are blah, 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 blah. Arguments against this department must be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Now, this is one of those things where the uh, the, the organization that represents the car dealerships mm-hmm. have been fighting tooth and nail against Tesla. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, okay, but it's not, be, you know, but I don't think it's because Tesla doesn't have a dealership there. It's because... They're going out of their, you know. They're going to go out of business. They're going the way of the dinosaur, yeah, baby. Yeah, bye. Fuck horse you. and buggy, horse and buggy sure. owners. Well, well, here's another thing. It's like basically, that what they're what they're fighting for is to protect these middlemen that make money by 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 hawking the car. They got nothing to do with the production of the car. Indeed, you know, half of them don't know shit about the cars. They've got a little bit of something that they read. It's all if about anything, the markup. It's, it's right. Dealer it's the prep. How much for the dealer like, prep? The here here is a here is a populace that is serving no purpose whatsoever. They can they can die. Yeah, exactly. and, and their children too. Bye. You know, oh, go do it. You don't serve a purpose. Fuck you. Yeah, you and know? and it's it's literally because these guys are afraid. Okay, yeah. because, and they're being backed up. Who's you know, and you know who's backing them up? It's the oil industry. Okay, yeah. Because when Tesla they're, comes they're, into they're play, all going who away. the fuck needs who right. the fuck needs Exxon? They're all going away. Yeah, fuck Exxon. Meanwhile, while this was going on, Elon Musk built a battery the size of a football field. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Australia, and he did it in under a hundred days. Okay, the, and when it's fully operational, you know they're ramping it up now because it's the mm-hmm. first one this size. When it it's going to like be able to. Uh, to deliver electricity to a city of 30,000 people. 
Nice. So they won't yeah. even need solar pow- panels anymore. They're just yeah. going to get it. They, they set up the solar panels, put it through the electric battery. Yeah. There you go. Electricity for an entire town. Yep. So, you know, you got, I think it's funny that one thing is taking place at the same time as another. Yeah. One guy's marching towards the future. The mm-hmm. other guys want to turn back the hands of fucking time. Yep. Fuck you. By the way, I also have an eight track tape uh, player that I'd like to sell you. You know, it's hard to mix on eight tracks. So, chicka, 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 chicka. Yeah. Well, you, you got to have the right scrubber. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, Ca- Stephen Cohen allowed to run hedge fund again. Now, I've been talking about this fucking piece of shit uh, for a while. Okay. Back in, mm-hmm. you know, he, um, Basically, uh, I you know this is the thing. I brought up the lady that that sold her uh, Liechtenstein painting because Cohn's like this big art collector. She sold it to Cohn for 165 million and then used the uh, proceeds. Her, her name is uh, Agnes Gund, and she's a big philanthropist in New York City. She sold the Liechtenstein to Stephen Cohn for 165 million and used the proceeds to start the Art for Justice Fund, which is uh, all about ending mass incarceration. Okay. She she took all the money from selling her Liechtenstein, money that she got from Stephen Cohen, and now she's using it. So, you know, I'm I'm all for that. Now Cohen was banned from managing outside money uh, after his former hedge fund SAC Capital and Advisors pleaded guilty to securities fraud in 2013. SAC, which produced annual gains of about 30 percent, 30 percent. Okay, Bernie Madoff during the height of his career was only getting between 10 and 20. Okay. And he was, you know, so this guy's been doing 30%. Okay, he paid a record $1.8 billion fine to settle a seven-year federal insider trading probe. Cohn wasn't charged with any wrongdoing. He basically let all of the other people take the fall. Some of them actually went to prison, which is good. Now, keep in mind that Cohn bought this painting, this $165 million liquor sign, after his company was found guilty of basically of, of insider trading. That's what they did. It was insider trading. And he let a bunch of his execs go away, okay? And um, he still had plenty of loot left over, okay, to buy what was uh, seen as one of the 15 most expensive artworks ever sold. Was that Liechtenstein painting the gun sold to him? Guess what? He was only uh, barred from trading for two years, and as of this year, he started his fund again. He started a new hedge fund again. Meet the new crook, mm-hmm. same as the old crook, that fat fuck. He's got a house out in the Hamptons the size of a city. It's so. What is it with these guys and their need for opulence beyond acceptable belief? What jealous? No, yeah, I'm I, not. That's what they say. That's that's their response. That's a thing. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. If you gave you me all that money, yeah. I wouldn't want to live like that. Oh yeah, it's easy I for have you to zero say. Zero desire. Easy for you to. Say. I know. I say the same thing. I have so zero. Whatever. Would I like a beach house? Yeah, but does it have to be a fifty-room beach house? No. I I can do with just one yacht. Yeah, I, do, I don't want a yacht. I can't. Okay, if I get a boat, I mm. want a boat that I can take out by myself. I don't okay. want a yacht. They have these boat shoes. <laughs> they have boat shoes. <laughs> yeah, now. you just kind of. Hey, man, for all you little feet fans mm-hmm. out there, put on your sailing shoes. Papa John CEO John Schnatter steps down weeks after wading into NFL anthem controversy. I talked about this a few weeks ago, and this guy's another piece of shit. Schnatter's resignation. Mm-hmm comes weeks after he courted controversy by blaming the NFL's handling of the players' protest, protesting social injustice, who take a knee during the national anthem for falling sales and tanking stock prices. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Okay? Papa John's stock price has lost more than 30% of its value since the beginning of 2017. 
Okay, first things first, let's just get this part out of the way. His pizza sucks. Yeah, it's wet, runny. It's runny, and the sauce is... Okay, the sauce is too sweet. I'm just... Okay, I'm I'm from New York. I am am a pizza fucking expert, okay? I'm a New Yorker, therefore I get to claim that, okay? Okay, his sauce is too sweet. Yeah. Okay, no. I, hey, sweet. hey, I, I'm I'm just a schlub that's been around, and 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 yeah, you, I can get better pizza at Publix. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. I've got a place near me. Actually, it's not half bad. You know, Mama's Pizza. They're from a bunch of guys from New York. Uh, let me see what we got here. Oh, this one's good. FERC, rege- uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, rejects multi-billion-dollar bailout of coal and nuclear plants. Okay. Um, the Federal uh, Commission that manages wholesale electricity markets on Monday rejected a bid from the Trump administration to prop up aging power plants, saying nothing in the record supports a, quote, multi-billion dollar bailout targeted at coal and nuclear generating facilities, unquote. The five-member uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission voted unanimously to reject the proposal from the U.S. Department of Energy to provide market-based cost recovery that's a very important term market based cost recovery for plants that keep 90 days of fuel supply on site a rule widely seen as born to struggle uh, seen as a boon to struggling coal and nuclear plants energy secretary rick perry used the proposed rule in september arguing uh, issued excuse me issued the proposed rule in september arguing that if struggling coal and nuclear plants closed down it would put the nation's power grid at risk and that plants are needed for, quote, resiliency. FERC wrote in its decision that the Department of Energy had not shown that delaying the retirement of uncompetitive power plants would meaning, meaningfully improve the resilience of the grid. And they were like, you know, um, they were like, you know, we're really glad that you're, that you're uh, interested in the resiliency of the grid, except your proposal does nothing. To help it. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, that's, that's what they funny. said. Side note here, okay, mm-hmm. the, it was a unanimous decision by this commission, okay, uh, the majority of that commission are Republicans. Mm. Coincidence? No, uh, no, they were, they've been, you know, it's one of those things, but it's the, nice to see said, yeah. that they are not making decisions based on, on partisanship. That's well. That's they're, good. Yeah, they're making a decision it, based on what's right for the consumer. It's actually possible that this is, you know, what's the the right thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look, we were, you know, last year uh, at the beginning of the year, we were talking about how um, they wanted to tax people who got solar panels. Remember that? Right. Clock yeah, yeah. yeah. The FPL. Yeah, yeah, FPL wanted to do that. That basically they were saying, well, you know, if you use solar panels, then we're, our customers are going to have to pay more, so you should have to compensate for that. Go, right, yeah. fuck, we'll make your, less money. We'll have fewer people like sucking at our teat. Yeah, and we want uh, you. And to at make the up same time, thing, yeah. they show these commercials where they're showing about how they have now developed the largest solar panel farm anywhere. Yeah. So they're allowed to take advantage of it, but not me. Right. Blow me. There you okay, go. what's the opposite of above me? That's right. right below, below, below me. Below me. What a bunch of jackwads. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Energy companies, man, they really are trying to fucking... It's my monopoly. What are you doing to my monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were talking about this. If you were, if you were the only pizza store, if you were, if you had a pizza shop on the block, and, right. some, and you know, you would want to do the same thing if somebody wanted to open up a taco stand. Right. Well, fuck you. you. Gotta, I want tacos. You got to tax, tax, tax them. To subsidize pizza. They've got better pizza, so you need to tax them to make up for the pizza. My my stinking pizza that nobody wants because yeah. I'm entitled. Oh, and there's entitlement. <laughs> entitlement. I thought this was funny. I got nothing to say about it other than the headline. Republicans have four convicted criminals running for Congress in 2018. 
That's it. I got nothing I, else yeah, to say. Yeah, nothing. That's it. That's it. The Arpaio thing cracks me up. And the, and the beat goes on. So, pot's in the news. Yeah, I know. Pot is back in the news. Okay, California legalized it across the board, and that was immediately followed by General Sessions, Attorney General Sessions, harshing their buzz. Sure. You know, he basically came in. As I call him, Granny Clampett. Yeah, DEA approved synthetic marijuana while cracking down on real marijuana. Marijuana's slow climb to legitimacy is still being slowed by to crawl by corporate interests spending big money in D.C. to keep it illegal. Quote, but even with the surge in public support, federal legislation to reschedule or decriminalize marijuana is still nowhere on the horizon. And that is mostly due to a handful of corporate interests who fear the legal pot will lead to less revenue for themselves and their clients. Uh, Here's an interesting headline that I caught. Um, Let me see if I can find it here. And that's it. As Sessions cracks down on weed, maker of fentanyl, Mm -hmm. fentanyl is selling synthetic you might, re- you might remember them from the Fen Fen. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's what that's, that's one of the Fens. Yeah, well, fentanyl, isn't that what, uh, you know, that's what they're adding to, to heroin now to make it, you know, more powerful and shit. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So you can lose weight? More, even more. Yeah. In a statement released by the Department of Justice, Sessions made it clear that the war on drugs is back on mm. and, will be, and we will be starting with marijuana. Suspicious from, uh, suspicious from his statement, however, was the continued legality of a drug called Dronabinol, a synthetic THC nasal spray that was quietly granted a Schedule 2 classification during the Thanksgiving weekend while we mm. were stuffing our face, okay, and loading up on L-tryptophan. Dronabinol was hitting the market. There we go. The classification means the government officially recognizes its medicinal potential and will allow it to be prescribed, sold, and federally regulated. Okay, of course, it's going to be massive, massively expensive. Okay, you know, that's the the nice thing about it. Now, right after um, California legalized pot, Cenk Uger from the uh, Young Turks. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is a guy I I side with most of the time. He's he's he talks about the things that uh, that I care about. He's generally ideologically on the same page as me. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, but good show, but. As with Bill Maher and everybody else, okay, his view of his his view of uh, and being desirous of having pot nationalized, made made legal nationally, period, is myopic, to say the least. I have he did a uh, an online editorial, and I clipped out a few things. You got that queued up? I do. Let's listen to Jen, what Jenky has to say, and then I'll tell you why he. Ladies and gentlemen, wrong. we got it. Weed is now legal in California. <laughs> now, if ever there was cause for celebration, this is it. And I'll tell you why. It's not just because people want to get high. Uh, it's because it has huge uh, policy ramifications. And it's not just because it's California. It's because it's over. Here, I'm going to declare it over right now. Marijuana will be legal everywhere. Once I pound the gavel, it is O-V-A-H, OVA. Once you have corporations profiting from marijuana to the tune of $7 billion in California alone, we're done with this thing. Then all of a sudden, corporate power flips to the other side and goes, marijuana? What do you mean, gateway truck? 
Schedule One. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's wonderful. You know how much money we're making. And then you grease some politicians, and this thing is done. It's done. Nobody's going to turn down that kind of profit. And then they're going to want it in all the neighboring states, then all the states, and then all across the world. So corporate America, unfortunately, has a lot of downsides, including bribing almost all of our politicians here in America. But the upside is, if you let corporations do marijuana, you will have legal marijuana everywhere. And uh, and they're not done yet. In addition, some local jurisdictions are giving priority or other assistance to marijuana business license applicants previously convicted of low-level marijuana offenses or who come from low-income communities hit hard by harsh drug war policies. For years and years, for decades, they crushed those local communities. The only economic opportunity they had, unfortunately, uh, was uh, the booming drug trade in their uh, neighborhood. Now they've turned around and said, we were wrong. So if we're going to start up shops, and this is going to be legal, and these are going to be real businesses, we should give those same communities which we oppressed and crushed and imprisoned for all this time for something that was actually perfectly safe. We're going to give them an opportunity first. In my mind, that is wonderful. One last piece of news for you in regards to this for the whole country. A recent Gallup poll found that 64% of Americans favor making marijuana legal, the highest since the pollster first posed the question almost five decades ago. Majorities of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents all voice support for legal marijuana. It's over. Marijuana will be legal everywhere, and it, as well as should be. And California has, in my opinion, struck the death blow for this insane war on marijuana that has been going on for far too long. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> okay, you know, it sounds great when he says it, doesn't it? It really does. Um, I have been talking about this and writing about this for quite a while, and I wrote um, uh, a fairly long piece that I kind of trimmed down for you know, for the purpose of the show. You can read it on my, uh, well. On your on blog? My, no, yeah, I don't have a blog. I don't have a page. So if you know me One on Facebook, days. go ahead. It's there. Um, just, just so we can get some numbers right. The $7 billion he's talking about there, that's not profit. That is gross net. That is gross revenue, not net. Um, the thing that I thought was interesting, I said, don't forget, the $7 billion is the estimated value of the pot that's currently being grown in California. But calculating how much of that will enter the legal market is pretty much based on a blind faith that most folks in the trade will suddenly want to abide by laws tomorrow that they didn't care about yesterday. Right. The way Jenks seems to envision the business, dispensaries will wind up buying product from a few mega growers, presumably the corporations he feels confident will want in on the profits. Gee, that's just great. So you think it's a good thing for Uncle Sam to once again enable corporate America to squash the little guy, the independent family farmer. Yep, that's what will happen because the big corporations will be able to grow in an economy of scale that enables them to produce the product for less than an individual can. So they'll be able to sell it for less than, for less than an individual can while still being able to make a profit. Needless to say, once all of the industry's peons have been vanquished, the big boys will be free to jack the prices up again without having to worry about losing too many customers. Congratulations. You've now just come out in favor of doing to individual pot growers what Reagan did to single-family farms in the 1980s. Wipe them out. Mm -hmm. And at the prospect 
of thousands of small-time growers going on the dole doesn't move all the young Turks to rethink their position on legalizing pot nationally, period. Here's another potential dilemma that nobody's considered. Antitrust laws, particularly those pertaining to vertical monopolies, because these days the dispensaries, uh, a lot of them, they grow their own weed. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're doing that in order to ensure compliance with the law, which stipulates that 85% of the weed sold in the dispensary must be grown in state. Okay, that's the law. Um, once the big corporations get in on the action, they're going to want to maximize profits by controlling the entire chain of operations from seed to sale. Mm-hmm. Well, unless the pot business somehow gets a pass on having to adhere to the Sherman and Clayton antitrust laws and acts, they'll be in violation of long-standing antitrust laws. Of course, this will force the corporations to grease some political palms mm-hmm. in order to sidestep century-old legislation that every other industry except baseball has to abide by. Congratulations again, Jenk. You've now managed to successfully put every independent operator in every phase of the business out of business by supporting the Walmarting of the pot industry. He, yep. he said it flat yep. out right there. Yep. He said it flat out right there. Next, I would submit that because of the increasingly unholy alliance between big business and Congress, inner city neighborhoods ravaged by the drug trade for decades won't wind up benefiting from legalized pot. And it's for the exact same reasons that Jenk thinks that a change in the pot laws is inevitable on a nationwide scale. It's corporate greed and political palm greasing. No matter how virtuous the local politician's initial intent, we all know that in the long run, if they want to stay in office, okay, money will rule the day. Also, I have a feeling that the people in these inner city neighborhoods that Jenk fantasizes will get their opportunity at making a living in a legit industry. For the most part, they don't have a rest for pot, but more likely for coke and heroin. Okay, And I promise you, that crew is not going to get a shot at entering into the business and probably won't want to anyway, since they're likely, likely making more money in the trade they're currently in and doing so without the burden of Johnny Law's IRS thugs extorting them for a percentage of their take. Another element okay, that is perhaps that perhaps presents the greatest hurdle to currently existing pleasure businesses getting on board with a proposed legal pot industry is how the products are manufactured. And this is one of those things that just drives me fucking crazy, okay? The comparison between pot and alcohol, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alcohol, tobacco, and pharmaceuticals, and for that matter, gambling and chocolate, mm-hmm. are difficult and in many cases practically impossible for the average citizen to produce because of existing patents and the complexity in the manufacturing process. Pot, on the other hand, can be grown by anybody, practically anywhere ranging in amounts that would simply negate folks from having to purchase it from retailers for their own consumption to amounts that would allow them to sell to others for less than legal dispensaries could. If you can put together something from Ikea, mm-hmm. you can grow good pot. And what happens when mom and pa kettle realize that they can make more money off of one acre of pot than they ever dreamed of making off of 100 acres of pretty much anything else? Sure. Okay, that's right. We'll become a nation of pot growers. That is until the price inevitably drops, forcing the kettles back into the soybean business. This is why Big Pharma will almost certainly never support pot becoming legal nationally, period, because they know that what they're pushing can't be replicated by the average person. But pot can and most certainly will be by all those who currently grow and the tens of thousands more who will no longer have imprisonment to worry about. I mean, why pay for something when you can produce it yourself for far less money? Right. Why would you even bother? Mm-hmm. As for the 64% of Americans across the political spectrum 
that favor legalizing pot, just like Cenk Uger and Bill Maher, okay, they are they are very much, okay, in the same tank because they never look at the long-term big-picture ramifications of a nationwide legal pot industry. Okay, that doesn't enter into their consideration. Just the projected ease and lack of risk involved in getting high. I wonder what percentage of Congress favors making pot legal nationally, period. I'd wager it's a damn sight less than 64%. Why? Mm-hmm. Just follow the money. Which two industries spend the most on lobbying? No surprise there. It's the pharmaceutical and banking industries, ladies and gentlemen. And both of them have a heavily vested interest in keeping pot on the schedule marked one. I can assure you that if the shysters and pushers who annually spend over $1 billion in pursuit of influencing, which is to say purchasing our lawmakers, if they wanted it to be legal nationally, period, it would have already come to pass. Okay? Okay? But it hasn't. Because drug companies don't want to lose average Joe as a customer, and big banks don't want to lose their profits from laundering the cartel's ill-gotten booty. And when it comes to a state like Kansas, even hinting at legalized pot, anybody want to lay odds on who's going to have more influence on lawmakers, the pot industry, or private prison lobbyists, hand-in-hand with police unions, hand-in-hand with the DOJ, hand-in-hand with the DOJ, the DEA and the DOJ. Mm Okay, frankly, I'm a little I'm more than a little perplexed as to why the potential opportunity cost of legitimizing marijuana as an industry hasn't at least given pause to advocates who seem to see no downside in America becoming the first country in the world to do so. What happens if we make pot legal and the rest of the world doesn't follow our lead? Okay, in short order, we'll become the pot supplier to the whole planet, especially if American corporations have anything to say about it. Okay. Do you think members of the European Union will just stand blithely by while American pot pot starts to flood their countries? Not bloody likely, mate. (laughs) I'd imagine they'll try and insist that we spend some of the loot from our new pot biz tax windfall on making sure that what gets grown in Vegas actually does stay in Vegas. And then there are the Mexican cartels who currently make about 50 percent of their money on pot. Okay. Any chance they'll roll over when confronted by the might of corporate America? Go to bed and wake up again, would you please? The cartels don't fear American corporations. It's the other way around. And do you actually think that the Mexican government will suddenly acquiesce to our newfound way of garnering tax revenue by trying to stop cartels from exporting their biggest cash crop, a crop that literally puts food on the tables of tens of thousands of their citizens and is produced by compunctionless groups that they are actually terrified of. No es muy probable, compadre. You like, you like that? I do. I, I, thought, I, I thought I put that one in. I said, look, I don't think that pot growers, sellers, and users should be subject to the same kind of harsh Rockefeller laws-like punishments as purveyors of coke and heroin any more than you all do. Of course, I think that pharmaceutical company executives should be held criminally liable for the scourge of opioids plaguing the hollers of Kentucky and the rest of Appalachia and New Hampshire and Ohio and no doubt your neck of the woods. Unfortunately, I think we all know that uh, warrants won't be served nor punishments handed down on those who truly deserve them because the most culpable are almost always the richest. And in American jurisprudence, money is the ultimate panacea. So long as the 
so long as the biggest drug cartel on the land, the American pharmaceutical industry, isn't truly held to task for its greed-fueled evil deeds, I don't think any of us can rationalize the often extreme narco-industrial complex fueling penalties incurred by the independent operators in their industry unless we, too, welcome the tar of hypocrisy. And I can't imagine why those designated by statute as engaging in an ongoing criminal enterprise would consider abiding by those laws when others are seemingly, nay, actually allowed to break them. Until then, federal decriminalization won't really change the rules of the game. It will simply allow a whole bunch of ringers the chance to dominate the league. So unless we want the corporate incarnation of Dave Schultz and the Broad Street Bullies ruling the rink at Cush Kingdom Arena, I think long and hard about cheering for the prospect of pot becoming legal nationally, period. Because if that does happen, I'm pretty sure no one deserving will ever wind up in the penalty box, but many will find themselves on the unemployment line. Very good. There you go. Look, I think the the best we can hope for, what we should be aiming for, okay, is to have pot move to a Schedule 2 and then let the states do what they're doing. Let them okay. decide for themselves if they want it legal in their state. You know, when Prohibition was dropped in 1933, mm-hmm. it wasn't until the mid-1960s that every state had legal alcohol. I think Mississippi was the last, okay. as they are in education and healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, they're consistent. They're there so that Florida doesn't have to feel bad. I know exactly. But this is one of those things about people who who want pot legalized, and I've seen tons of them. And these are smart people. They don't look at the long term, big picture. Who are you going to let into this? And what happens when you do? What happens mm-hmm. when corporations are allowed to grow on a on a massive scale? What happens when foreign investment comes in? What happens when we're the only country doing it? Nobody asks those questions, right. and we're I really see- wish they would. I really do. I think the war on drugs is stupid. Mm -hmm. Okay? But we need to – we definitely need to look before we leap into legalization because the ramifications have many, 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 many tentacles, and they spread to many, 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 many places. And to not take all of that into consideration is negligence that is potentially on a – national and, and even global scale that is just negligence to not consider yep. oh by the way all the money we'd be saving just so just so i'm clear on this all that money that we'd be saving by not you know having to go after pot growers mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah you know what we'd be saving that money on the other hand we'd be spending it because the irs there, there'd have to be a whole new division of the uh of the uh atf mm-hmm. you know it'd be the atf atfm alcohol tobacco firearms marijuana mm-hmm. by the way here was something uh, interesting that I noted. Hang on a second. This is a headline I spotted. If I can find it here. Um, my guns are ganja. Firearm-owning pot fans face a choice. If you own or grow pot, you're not allowed to have a gun, too. Right. That was in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I know how you feel about that. Yeah. What's Bad. the point of having one if you can't have the other? That's- well, that's the other thing. When I was living in Hawaii, okay, people who grew there weren't afraid. You know, the cops weren't concerned. It was, it was people who were thieves. Right. It was rippers so, is what they called them, rippers. Right. So how am I going to shoot the rippers? If Damn Skippy. Yeah. You want to, yeah. you know, they're coming to jack you, but you want to jack the ripper. It's like, oh, oh, that oh, was oh, so set oh, that up. You know what? That's the, cue. That's the cue for more groove. Oh, my is that God. the cue for more groove? Oh, There's a mix in this set that is so recovering. sublime, I can't <laughs> fucking stand it. We keep the groove going on the groove on SoFloRadio.com. 
it no more. that wasn't crossed out was Sweet Anderson. I decided to drop in on him before they crossed him out, too. Swede wasn't living in luxury. As a matter of fact, for a moment, I thought he wasn't living at all. Swede? Sorry, Swede, I thought you had been murdered. Come on, wake up. Come on, Swede. You need a cup of my java.
Liverpool Patty Smith. CBGBs. What a shithole. <laughs> there you go. Richard Lloyd Tunkway. Yeah, man. Look, I played there and it was my kind of shithole. Television See No Evil from Marky Moon. Their first and absolutely their best album. And of course, they got their start at CBGBs down on, uh, down on the Bowery. Before that, yeah, that's right. The Apple Pie Motherhood Band doing Born Under a Bad Sign, the classic there. My favorite version of that is actually still, uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band from, uh, uh, Resurrection of Pig Boy Crabshaw. Those guys, uh, that was recorded in 1968. Those guys from Boston. It was produced by uh, Felix Papillardi, who was the uh, bass player for Mountain and produced a lot of stuff for Cream. Uh, before that, yeah, I got another clip a little bit later on. One of our, we love this movie, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, we yeah. We love Steve Martin. Steve he's Martin, period, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely genius, man. I love it. You need to come to my job. But the best thing about that is that scene right after he says that is that scene where he just keeps pouring the coffee in there. Mm-hmm. Like, shh, you know, like it goes on forever. Uh, before that, Joseph Henry, Who's the King? That came out as a 45 reissue in 1998. And then before that, a mix that is. Sublime. Shucks. Sublime. Okay, the opening song was Little Hurricane Isn't That Great from Same Sun, Same Moon came out last year. Those guys, uh, it's basically just a uh, one guy and one gal they met in uh, Chicago, I guess. And that was mixed into Shannon Let the Music Play with that whiplash to Whoops. kick it off. Whoops. All right. That song, Shannon literally in the summers of 84 and 85, she had uh, Let the Music Play and then Give Me Tonight. Mm-hmm. Give me the night, you know. Give me the night. Okay, those songs during those two summers, I heard them every single day, every oh, yeah. single day. You know, because it was a boombox generation. Sure. So I was out in Central Park, stuff like that. So every day I heard Shannon. Okay, so that was I love that mix. I just love it the way you put it together. Graham smashed a flash. Thank you kindly on the on the mouses of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> so. This book came out. That you and I are in agreement about this. The fire and the fury. What? A, why? Why? Yeah. I, I mean, there there are a couple of uh, juicy tidbits in there. Not telling like us anything they, we don't they, already know. No, I, no, I, nothing that was going to change my opinion. But then that's us. Yeah. I figure. I figure he he, he settled on that title because the filth and the fury had already been taken. I, okay. And I, I was thinking. So is this? As a matter of fact. But right, fire and the fury is already. Yeah. Been there's taken. another book that uh, with the same name that now that's enjoying some brisk sales. Yeah. As, I figured. I figured that he could have called it the conflagration and the clusterfuck. Sure, okay. Sure. You know? But I don't understand. Uh, you know why? Why all these? It's, it's not like. We didn't already know that he is more than somewhat a little bit off of his rocker and will do anything yeah. in quest of adulation. And so, you know, I was saying that for me, you know, because I saw all these people, friends of mine, you know, they were posting online and stuff. You know, they all rushed out and bought the book. And for mm. me, reading that book is akin to schadenfreude. Mm. <laughs> I told you so. Right. You know, but the the thing is this. You know, who's really laughing all the way to the bank? Well, the guy who wrote the book and, sure. the, and the guy the book's about. I, I guess All so, we're yeah. doing is getting angrier and angrier. And towards those, towards that end, there was an interesting article. Uh, David Frum uh, in The Atlantic wrote an article called Donald Trump Goes Full Fredo. Um, and he, gave, he nailed it, too. He said the most important thing about Trump is not the man. It's the system of power surrounding the man. Without the complicity of other power holders, Trump would drop from his central position like a tooth from a rotten gum. What we need to do now is widen the camera angle beyond Fredo Trump to the hard-faced men and women over his shoulders. Those are the people who put Trump where he is and keep him there, corrupting the institutions of American democracy and troubling the peace and security of the world. Uh, he also he went on to write, after Trump 
After the Trump pardon of Sheriff Arpaio for obstruction of justice, a popular conservative blogger tweeted this justification of the president's shocking attack on the rule of law. Quote, the main reason for President Trump to pardon Sheriff Joe was, fuck you, leftists. Yeah. The new rule, bitches. Mm-hmm. That's what this guy wrote. Mm-hmm. Now, this reminded me of something that I had written a few weeks earlier in response to some guy um, online. And this guy was going by the name of Billy Bats. Okay. Billy Bats. That was okay. And I wrote this entire thing. And at the end of it, I wrote, I guess standing up for the likes of – because he was coming out. That was the thing. This guy was was writing – he was basically supporting Roy Moore. Okay. Right. And one of the things that he said was, you know – you guys, it was another what? It was the classic what aboutism. Oh yeah, well you know, FD. You guys seem to love FDR, and he interned. You know, he put Japanese in internment camps. What? That's not bad. I was like, well, you did dug seventy five years into the history in order to come up with something to smack me down. Yeah. And at the end of it, I wrote, I guess standing up for the likes of Moore after you all were forced to live through eight years of Obama is your way of making us feel like we've finally been forced to go home and get our shine box. And then restoring peaceful purity to the bar so you can confidently mutter amidst the like-minded, hey, I did my fucking time. I come home, I want what I got to get. Of course, we all know what happened to Bats right after he said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they beat the shit out right. of him. So about the same time that the book <laughs> came out, okay, uh, which is right at the end of the year, this guy named, I can't believe I'm going to say this name on the air, Alduis Pennyfarthing. Alduis <laughs> Pennyfarthing. I, if that's his real name, okay, okay I, I, I want to meet his parents because I'm, I'm sure not. Yeah, I want to meet his. Okay, he posted a piece yeah. in the Daily Coast. Uh, I don't know if you know about this, like, you know, KOS, the Daily Coast or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. The title of it was Dear Fucking Lunatic, an Open Letter to Donald Trump. And it was exactly what you thought it was. It was, fuck you, fuck this. It was all about, you know, he, it, he was just. It was all the shit that we've been saying for a year, except with curse words. Lots and lots and lots of curse words. And like three or four friends of mine posted it on Facebook, and everybody was like, I love this guy. This is great, blah, Mm. blah, blah. And I was like, really? And so I got in touch with a friend of mine um, who is like-minded, you know, for me and you. And he, you know, he also, you know, was, you know, hey, this is great and blah, blah, blah. And And I said, you know, do the third friend of mine to post this thing. And it's an exercise in extreme venting. And I still haven't figured out why everybody seems to love it so much. I agree with everything in it, but it's what everyone's been saying and writing all year, except with a sort of extra graphic shock for shock's sake. Mm -hmm. If this is what passes for cathartic, I'm worried. And my friend got back to me. He goes, well, I just I think it's funny. Really? Okay. It wasn't. I didn't think it was funny, you know, because it was naughty. It was (laughs) naughty. It was so naughty. So then, okay. Another person that I know posted something, and it said, it's time for the men in white coats to take Trump away. When CNN is rife with analysis of what it means that Trump keeps taunting Kim Jong-un with his size matters tweet on nuclear weapons, you have to wonder, is anybody minding the store? And the comments after this were all from this person's friends, and needless to say, they're all ideologically Mm -hmm. like-minded. And it was just a slew of what I've come to expect these days from otherwise sane people, okay? Basically amounting to, fuck him, he's crazy, fuck his supporters, they're bigots and racist, and he's a blithering dolt who's ruining our great nation, nation, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum, okay? Mm. So at this point, I was getting a tad fed up, okay? I, so, so I decided to chime in with, 
all done, are we? Or is the last little dingleberry of contempt still hanging on, waiting to be wiped away with a final shriek of conviction aimed at the opposition, but destined to be heard only by those already converted? Relax. I'm sure the next march for this and that to here or there will serve as just the right cottonelle for the newly disenfranchised (laughs) masses. Lord have mercy. It's like stationary road rage. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'm a native New Yorker, so I've known about Trump the whole time. Right. Okay, you're not telling me anything fucking new. Okay? But at some point, the online primal scream has to morph into a plan for pragmatic action, if only because no matter how loud, it will remain unrequited unless backed up by proactivity for a purpose other than merely venting, as I have just done. Woe is me. Looks like I'll have to go to that march after all. Any chance it's headed towards a ballot box? So it was right after this that I wrote a, wrote a piece and posted it called I'm Sick of It regarding pres- the president's daily routine of hypocrisy and the ensuing daily, re- daily reaction to it having made me weary and my desire to strive for some sort of modicum of decorum in the future when expressing my disapproval of the president's words and actions. And then I realized that this is kind of where I started out last year. Okay, pledging to remain civil or silent, such as is possible for me, unless my disdain came hand in hand with some sort of potential solution to whatever the new it is that was happening and and, and coming across my screen as the latest Petroishka doll of breaking news. So, So I looked back over some of what I said and wrote during the last 12 months and determined that while I wasn't as venomously antagonistic as I had been the year before, I wasn't nearly as civil as I hoped I could be in the coming year. Well, based on the opening two weeks, anybody want to make book on that? (laughs) Anyway, my faith in our republic, which is increasingly a democracy anointed via persuasion, has early Vegas odds at five to three in favor of, uh, in favor of, I don't know, whatever I wrote. (laughs) <laughs> in favor of deep breathing, okay. you know, winning out over, uh, you know, over vitriol. Um, the way I see it, uh, yeah, in favor, in favor of deep breathing, winning out through uh, the need to exhibit stationary road rage. The way I see it, I'm not running for anything. I'm not hoofing door to door in an effort to register like-minded potential voters. And I sure ain't marching. So I figure I should keep my mouth shut a little more often than I have in the past. And in this case, that means sitting on my hands. Because nobody screams at each other. They type. They post. That's what mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Okay? Of course, this assumes I truly believe we'll be able to overcome another year of new its being continuously flung at us from the White House or Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster, New Jersey or Pebble Beach or wherever he's shanking one off into the woods. Otherwise, it'll be bench-clearing time no matter what the new it is. And while I may be sick and more than a little tired of that, too, it won't stop me from hopping over the boards before I even think about exhaling. And then the shithole kerfuffle started up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And folks went apeshit. Okay. Predi- you know, they and predictably, uh, I said they yeah. predictably began binge raging <laughs> on <laughs> Facebook. And I really just couldn't take it anymore, particularly after a friend of mine wrote an entire, you know, fuck Trump tirade and lamented that they, Mm -hmm. meaning Trump supporters, had made it okay to use over-the-top vitriol as a means to state one's opinion. So why shouldn't he respond in kind? In other words, 
If you can't beat him on the high road, you might as well join him on the low road. That's what this guy was saying. So I attempted, and I say attempted, <laughs> to show my displeasure without my usual high-handed brand of obnoxiousness, as I am, I, as I have been mm-hmm. wont to do. Okay, and so I said respectfully, your statement's phrasing is precisely the thing that's starting to chafe me these days. <laughs> I say this not as critique, but as observation. I agree with what you wrote. I just don't think that name-calling, curse-laden castigation is helping. Indeed, as someone else pointed out in the thread, look at all the, quote, vile hatred in the comments. And they were right. Okay? At this point, I'm absolutely certain that you can't say to somebody, fuck you. Now listen to what I have to say and then follow me to a better place. And yes, while I recognize that there are some for whom no amount of facts or logic or pragmatism can overcome their staunch cognitive dissonance, I'm just not sure that trying to verbally bitch slap their guy because you believe that he, and by extension his supporters, earnestly deserve it, is the right methodology for achieving our true goal of a nation less divided. The way it seems to me is that they haven't really made it okay. We just think that we have no other recourse. So as long as they're doing it, if that's the level they've sunk to, then that's the level I'm going to have to play them at. Well, that was last year's strategy. How's it working so far? Nope. This year, I've decided to go the other way. I want to, and this is the thing I was talking to you about earlier, because you were you had brought this up several mm-hmm. shows ago, and I was reminded of it. I want to be able to deservedly wear the white hat. And that means no matter how futile my efforts may wind up being, I can't proactively burrow beneath the moral and ethical ground that we should deign to even tread upon, especially in the pursuit of persuasion. I was thinking about this the other day. Most comedians these days curse at least a little, and many of them a lot. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of them that I think are funny. It's the ones who use cursing as a crutch that generally don't get so much as a chuckle out of me. But Jerry Seinfeld's been consistently hilarious throughout his career, and he's never cursed once during his act. Or blue or in in, in it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. My point is that vitriol isn't as needed as you might believe and might perhaps only reinforce the other person's desire to stand in opposition to your point of view, no matter what their true belief is. Mm. To which he responded, I do agree with that my vitriol reinforces the desire to stand in opposition. But, in capital letters, of course, Mm -hmm. I am also certain that whatever my response to these people, it would not budge them at all or change their outlook at all. I just have no respect for anyone, again in capitals, who supports runny dump, be it a friend, relative, or stranger on Facebook. Fuck them. I don't want to be nice to them at all. Their values and morals are despicable. There is no downside I see to expressing my anger in this way. Really? So I said, hey, mm-hmm. that's what makes you feel better far out. But in my eyes, there is a downside. And that's the trudging march towards the end of civility. I don't see liberalism or libtards like us going down anytime soon. And when the worm has turned, I don't want it to be because I simply outplayed my opponent at their game. I'd like to believe I managed to win the entire match by simply being a superior player and succeeded with a superior strategy that will ensure that I don't feel like a hypocrite when the next next match begins. I'm just, say, I'm just trying to see if another less rancorous approach than the one I've made for years might be better, if only for my blood pressure. Very so, good. Yeah. Okay. 
And then, yes, of course. A day later, the whole Trump shithole thing morphed into uh, the Trump shithole versus Obama shit show. McGuffin, mm. okay, McGuffin. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, yes, which is what it is. And I said that this was, and I, I commented something. This is what aboutism on full display. Okay, mm. to which one friend said it was really an example of here it is. We don't care when Dems do it ism. Okay. And another one re- responded by simply saying, writing this, la, 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 I can't hear you on full display. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. The person that wrote that wrote, I don't think it's right for either of them, but, again, in capital letters, there's always a but. It's always uh-huh. a but. You know what but means? Ignore everything I just said. Sure. Okay. Right. She wrote, but, um, and then she what she did, she wrote but, and then she she posted a tweet by some guy named uh, Boca Vista. So obviously a Seinfeld fan. Mm-hmm. Del Boca Vista. <laughs> okay. And the tweet said, so Trump calling a country a shithole is racist bad, but Obama calling a country a shit show is presidential good. What country did he call a shit show? Uh, Libya. This was after mm. Muammar Gaddafi was taken out of power. I wrote an entire thing on this. I wrote mm. uh, a, uh, a doctrine for Obama. Yes, we can pick and choose. And yeah. I said that after we go in and do this, we've got to stay there and help them build the country. Think, but the Europeans had said they would yeah. do it, and they didn't, and it turned into a shit show. Yeah, I think they're talking about two different things. They are. That's the whole point. You know? Okay, but, this friend went on to say, I'm not suggesting that it's okay for either one of them. I do think, however, that both of them were right. We went, we, we went in Libya. What went on in Libya was a shit show, and Haiti is a shithole. Um. And also she said, he supposedly said Haiti, not Haitians, you know? Mm, Excusatory thing. Okay. And then she went on to post the Webster's definition of the two, a shit, shithole, one word, mm-hmm. an extremely dirty, shabby, or otherwise unpleasant place, and shit show, two words, a situation or event marked by chaos or controversy. So yeah. right about then I got that feeling that soon enough up from my soul would come a bubbling crudeness. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, that was my usual MO. But before I blew a gasket, okay, someone else chimed in right then saying, I call the things that go wrong at my job a shit show. But where I work is not a shithole. If you can't see the difference, I don't know what to tell you. Now, honestly, mm-hmm. okay, I personally thought that this might have been, you know, that, that that little thing right there might have a chance to at least give some pause to my friend's use of the false comparison. Okay, well... That hope turned out to be optimistic to the point of fantasy because my friend responded, that's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Now, I think yeah. it's the, the – okay. Now, at this point, anyone who knows me probably figures I was about to crack open a f- fresh fifth of Jack and go buck wild. Okay? But I decided to try to calm it down. I said to this person, I said, so-and-so, I said, but you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Okay? Which is why I think you felt the need to point out the difference in the two words, except you ended up proving this other person's point. Because while you claim to feel that it's not okay for either of them, presumably, to use the word shit in any manner when referring to another country, what you really seem to be saying is that if it's okay for Obama to call events in Libya following the downfall of Gaddafi a shit show, then it's okay for Trump to call Haitian and African countries shitholes. Except we both know 
that in Obama's case, he was pointing out the chaotic and unstable events in Libya starting in 2011, whereas Trump was referring to the country's demeanor and general habitat, and obviously, by extension, its inhabitants. Yes. This is why I think I'm seeing so many new attempts to cloak the the Democrats' criticism of Trump's statement as one being born of hypocrisy solely due to the use of the word shit, since Republicans can't really justify the actual comparison Mm -hmm. behind the different uses of the word. Right. Okay. Like, they're pretending to be stupid once again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like that's an excuse. Okay. Right. I can't speak for other libtards like myself. But I don't have any problem calling out Democrats when they, unfortunately, all too often forget their job description and instead go about doing whatever they think will get them elected again and then try to justify their actions with hypocritical gobbledygook. And I sure don't feel the need to try and prop them up in the eyes of others by saying, oh, yeah, well, how come you all didn't rant and rage when so-and-so did such-and-such, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, what they always do, honestly. I just don't understand why it's become so difficult for folks to just say, yep, our guy fucked up. No. And leave it at that without immediately feeling the need to make it seem like it wasn't such a fuck up by delving into the past and finding an instance of someone else doing something similar. Perhaps it's a knee-jerk reaction to feeling like if your guy fucked up and folks are criticizing it, then by extension, they're criticizing you for supporting the person that fucked up. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, for one, would like to say that I'm not transitively criticizing anybody. That is unless they seek to justify the fuck-up through the use of historically inaccurate comparisons. Wrong is wrong. And seeking to mitigate a fuck-up by placing it among other similar fuck-ups because of my feelings about the person who committed it is also wrong. Partisanship is one thing. But when it's clutched so tightly that accuracy becomes incidental, then it only begets greater partisanship. And I would find it hard to comprehend and more than a little depressing to think that someone I know truly believes that what we need now is more ideological intransigence and div- and divisiveness. I know I sure don't. Thank you very right much. Here's, here's a little quote that I uh, spotted somewhere. Uh, it's attributed to Socrates from uh, Plato's Apology. Okay. I am wiser than this man. For neither of us appears to know anything great and good. But he fancies he knows something, although he knows nothing. Whereas I, as I don't know anything, so I do not fancy I do. In this trifling particular, then, I appear to be wiser than he, because I do not fancy I know what I do not know. See, he's above the Dunning-Kruger effect. That's whereas it. the other gentleman we isn't. I was that? just talking about that this there's, morning. The Confucian, there's the... Confusion, there's the, uh, the uh, to know that one knows what one knows and that one does not know what one does not know is true knowledge. Amen, brother. I want to do a quote also. You'll be proud of me. The only thing that I posted about the whole shit, uh, shithole incident, yeah. there was so much, so much to choose from. Oh, my God. So many angry memes and everything. Just a, one. Online rage I, I, sh- I didn't. I, I shared one 
thing, and it was a quote from my good friend Suds and co-worker from the Rick and Suds show. But, yeah, the Rick and Suds show from uh, from days gone by. The the Neil Rogers show fans will remember that Rick and Suds was a big part of the the menagerie there when we were ruling the world. And uh, and Suds wrote uh, and just and just a text. It was just a, I just shared a, yeah. a, a line. Shithole country sounds like a good name for a new serious XM station. Yes, which which is the best line of the year. And and um, what I wrote something ver- that I was I can't underneath you. You wrote something too, but this one guy said, "I'm going to put that in my Pandora right now." And then uh, I responded to him saying, "I did," and all it played was Toby Keith. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. Take that, Toby. But yeah, you're right. Things are getting too angry. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm tired. If, if for no other reason, I'm just exhausted. Yeah, you know, it, wear, it wears me out. And I was just saying this to you earlier. The thing that that kind of is frothing my cookies a little bit is that when I'm seeing it. It looks, it has the feel, mm-hmm. even though I know we're right and they're wrong. Okay, let's just get that part out of the way. Right. We're right and they're wrong. Period. Okay? Yeah. But it has a feel. The memes, the vitriol, it, to me, it feels like exactly what they were doing to Obama when he was in office. That's the feel of it. The anger, the rancor. But more importantly, nobody's got a solution. They're just bitching and moaning. They're, okay? I don't see anybody going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm organizing a, a, a one-week trip. I want to get three or four friends together. We're going to go to one of these swing counties in Ohio or Wisconsin or Missouri or, or West Virginia or something like that. And what, what I want to do is I want to organize a trip with four or five friends, okay? And we're going to go there and try and register voters. Okay. I don't see anybody trying to do that. There's I don't see anybody right. coming up. Okay, where, you know – when I ran a phone room, my rule mm-hmm. was you could complain about anything as long as you had thought about a possible solution. It could be it could be completely wrong. But don't just come in and complain without having given some thought as to how to solve the problem. I'm fucking sick of it. I'm fucking sick of it, man. Yeah, man. And people that I know and respect, okay, and, and to me, here's the thing. Because I made this pledge for civility, okay – I'm trying mm-hmm. to do it, but I'll tell you, it's an addiction. I'm addicted. I'm hooked. I'm fucking hooked, man. I'm fucking yeah, I'm slamming I, that I'm, shit. I'm tired. I am I'm too. Like, I'm trying I'm just, to. I'm trying to scroll past it now. I, I, yeah, and I'm just. I'm just watching Mueller and just waiting. <laughs> well, you know yeah. what? If we're sick and tired of that, you know what? We're never sick and tired of groove. Damn, Skippy, let's keep the groove going on the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com.
poetry and Mona Lisa was a man. told you. You know how I hate that dumb way of wearing your shirt button with no tie. Let me get you a tie. This one's blue, but you can wear it with brown. You annoy me. I annoy you. You come in here with no tie. You drunk? How many have you had? One martini. I knew I was going to see you. Can you pick the pace up a little? I'm getting kind of tired of the slow jam rhythm. See, I'm from NY, where the peeps get by all day. Lights up and down, Broadway, uptown, downtown, Brooklyn, the boogie down. The sound you hear now comes straight from the underground. Through the clouds, to the crowds, the big boys and girls hit to the fresh sounds. Of lost professor, none greater, none fresher. Wiggle won't fold under pressure. Grew up down the road from Fred Dresher. And newborn babies to them ancestors. Fearless, we need a leader that's fearless. Hardcore, still clean like fearless. That's me, XP. Has been official hip hop key to the city. Yo, wake up the cavalry, call all cars The APB out on the boy called Lars He firing out more beats and more bars Wilding out, going against all odds Serving hardcore streets and boulevards Improving this hip-hop world of ours I miss me, anyone against me, miss me Industry rules on the fire to the ministry See, I speak through the windscreen Extreme, homes and L-16s for us Commercial rap like the dust when I touch down I amaze and us sound The crown jewel hole at the Cali do over Time to move forward, can we kindly move over? Pretty I walk around town with you. This show is hip hop key to the city. Bye. 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 Bye.
Hey, we almost missed that one. What do you think there? <laughs> I, think I was listening to a really interesting I, story about bass players. I know. Well, okay, that is, that's right. That was Nina Simone. I swear to God, that saved me. It was released as a 45 back in 1969. Uh, it was also included on uh, the reissue version of uh, her album, Silk and Soul. Okay. After last week, you know, I was, the, or not last show. The Oh, yeah, it was last show. I actually, that was the only bit of negativity on the Groove and Gratitude show where I was complaining about Nina Simone getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right. So I figured I, w- I would go in quest of something by her that was Groovathon worthy. All right. And this is it. The, the thing is, I struggled with this because the original, well, the version that I knew was the one by Aretha Franklin. Okay. And, you know, so it's by Aretha Franklin. It can't be equaled. But after beating up Nina last week, I figured, what the hell? You know, and that's Groove Don Worthy, that song right there. Yeah. It absolutely is. Before that, brand new stuff from the big old nasty get down. They have, uh, it just came out Friday. Uh, Groovy uh, is uh, Big Old Nasty Get Down Volume 2. I have Volume 1 already. And this is one of those bands that's like a conglomeration of people from all these other bands. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Parliament Funkadelic, Sly and the Family Stone, Living Color. Taylor Dane, uh, Derek Trucks Band, James Brown's old band, Fishbone, um, Your Mama's Big Fat Booty Band. That's a band I, I'm not familiar with them, but I'm going to be going, I'm going to go find stuff by them and listen. With that name, a name yeah. like that, that's like one of those things like with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Yeah. With a name like Your Mama's Big Fat Booty Band, it's got to be good. But there are tons of people from all of these various bands, and it's done with the. Uh, with just a tinge of like a New Orleans feel to it. Mm-hmm. But great, great stuff. Uh, who else is on it? Bill Withers, people from Bill Withers' band, from Cool and the Gang, um, from Carl Denison's, Tiny, Carl Denison's Tiny Universe, who mm-hmm. I'm hoping to see a week from today. That song is a Groovy Nasty, and that was one of the tracks they released as a teaser about a week and a half ago. Um, and it's, you know, it's dynamite stuff. Before that, yeah. Dug into the uh, B-Boy Breakbeat Collection. Large Professor Key to the City. That's just, I was, uh, met a friend of mine. Like, I was in the car and met him and he got in the car and I had a mix CD. And that song came on. My friend who's, you know, from the Boogie Down Bronx leans over to me and goes, wow, that's a, you know, that's just a strong beat. All right, put it in the show. Boy, that, yeah, a little more, uh, a little more stuff from Dead Man Won't, Don't Wear Plaid. <laughs> you annoy me. <laughs> like that. Before that, classic stuff. Little Milton doing Grits Ain't Groceries from his 1972 album, Grits Ain't Groceries. Originally, that song was called uh, All Around the World. It was a uh, Titus Taylor song from 1955. The other versions of that that I that I found, you know, I was just poking around for fun. The Flesh Tones do a version of that. Edwin Starr does a, ver- does a version of that. Savoy Brown. And there's a killer live version of that done by Wet Willie. So, uh, but, you know... The Little Milton version, just that one just jumped right out to me. Before that, Black Uhuru, Spongy Reggae from Red 1981. Yeah, Sly and Robbie doing their uh, doing their thing on that side of bar, Robbie Shakespeare. That was like back in the day when they started to become the go-to, you know, backbeat section for people. They, were, they, they worked with everybody, Grace Jones, Bob Dylan, but they were on and off members of Black Uhuru. I saw Black Uhuru with, uh, at the Palladium. Uh, way back, uh, I can't remember, probably about 1979, maybe. It was right before this album came out. 
um, with Africa Bombada's uh, Soul Sonic, Soul Sonic Force. Force opening for them. Yeah, at the Palladium. My friend uh, who's father was like managing kiss he lived in the same building as me he had front row it was a it was actually a dance show so downstairs at the palladium there were no seats but he had seats in the front row mm-hmm. of the uh the the first of uh, the balcony there so it was perfect you know was, you didn't have to go down and deal with all the the moshing mm-hmm. as such as it was in those days that was a pretty cool show kicking off the set yeah aerosmith roadrunner uh, the classic uh, Bo Diddley song. That's on Honkin' at Honkin' on Bob, which is an album they came out with in 2004. And actually, that was kind of a nice, you know, I that's one of those uh, albums that I like by them because they had been doing that just, they had started to morph into that sappy love mm-hmm. song crap. And then they came out with this, and there's like a whole bunch of tracks on that that are dynamite. They really, you know, one of my favorite albums is... Uh, their live album, mm-hmm. um, live bootleg. They okay. do a sensational version of James Brown's uh, Mother Popcorn. It is great. Mm-hmm. I swear to you, it is great. You know, back when those guys were, you know, still doing drugs and having fun. <laughs> so a couple of quick notes. Um, just, you know, stuff to bring up because every once in a while, somebody I mentioned gets the Groovathon bounce. They get the Groovathon okay. bump. Uh, on the last show... Uh, I was talking about, uh, you know, various people that I played and met over the year and stuff. And one of them was uh, Ed Rogers, who has a uh, CD that came out this year called 20th Century Heroes. And I played the title track from that, which is, you know, and it's a dynamite CD. Okay, He's another one. He is another rock on tour. He is another rock on tour. Well, that was named one of the top 10 alternative rock picks of 2017 by Music Express. So, you know, Great. there you go. TV Generation marks his seventh solo in Denver. Um, you just, you know, it's, it's great stuff. They, basically, they say it's all great. And last week I was also, last year I was also talking about um, Roger Sadowski, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who makes all these bases and stuff. Well, guess what? what? Right after that, on uh, the website, which is for bass players, it's called No Treble. Okay. No Treble. No Treble at all. Yeah, No Treble at all. It, he uh base of the week Sadowski guitars new, uh NYC Will Lee five string. One of the great things about writing the base of the week column is that builders send us photos of some of their best work. This recent Sadowski Will Lee five string hit my inbox and stopped me in my tracks. Built with a chambered swamp ash body, the base's candy apple orange finish and black pearl pickguard are enough to make you drool. Then you look closer and see the jaw-dropping flame on its roasted maple neck and fingerboard. Of course, looks aren't everything. The Will Lee models, pickups, and electronics are designed for flexibility. And then it goes into some wonky stuff. You have to, like, mm-hmm. really get into bases for the wonky stuff. So there you go. little groove bump for a couple of people there. Nice. Happy to do that. You know it's time for me for you to do right now. Time for me to take care of the people who take care of me. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Precision Auto Works of Pompano Beach, Florida. Nine five four nine two four seven nine three six two nine five four two four seven nine three six two. I swear, you know, Dave is now a, he's a gearhead among gearheads. He's basically the geek equivalent of a gearhead. Okay, that's what he is. He's into it. You know, it's wonky stuff for gearheads. All that stuff. I I was talking to somebody the other day. He's one of those people. If it's not perfect, it's wrong. It's never good yep. enough. It's either perfect. Or it's wrong. And what I love is a tool and die guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if, 
if he if you've got an older model car because this is now becoming a go to place for people who have hot rods, fast cars, you know, classic collector cars, and a lot of the the trouble that people have with car people of cars like that is finding parts, mm-hmm. finding the right parts. Well, the reason Dave is you know the the guy that so many of them go to now is because if he can't find the part, he'll make it. He's he's tooling that he makes awesome. it right there. Bumper to bumper, any make, any model, from ship boxes to showroom quality collectibles. Dave and the entire A S E certified crew are one hundred percent Groovathon approved. And uh, it's actually time for me to go in there and uh, it's actually past time for me to go in there. I have to get my tune up. You know, I have like a mileage thing mm-hmm. that he tells me about, so I have to do that. Of course, you can go to the SoFloRadio.com page, click on the box on the top row that says Tony C's SoFlow Groovathon, and that'll take you to my new, much faster loading page. Thank you. New and improved. New and improved. Thank you so much. And there's a separate link on the page uh, for Groovathon Archives where you're going to find every show that I've ever done, all available to be listened to or downloaded for free. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because you can't put a price on Groove, baby. No, you cannot. You cannot put a price on Groove. And above each link for a show is a list of every song played on that show, so you will be able to see every song I've ever played. And at the top of the Groovathon homepage, you will see a link for Precision Auto Works. It takes you right to their site. tells you everything you need to know. 954-247-9362. Precision Auto Works of Pompano Beach, Florida. It is absolutely the place where people who love their cars take their cars. A little hang time there. A little hang little time. Bit. You know what that means? It's time for me to get to the drive groove. Yo, Gramps, you ready to pop the clutch? I'm ready. And let's Revenge. get the drive groove RPM straight to redlining with Marcus King on SoFloRadio.com.
morning, too tired to shake. Gotta get poker hand, tired to win. I hear my baby calling, but I'm too tired to let her in. I'm tired. To run, I hear my baby calling. Too tired, too tired, I'm tired.
There you go, baby. Brand new stuff. Not even out yet. The Mutual Admiration Society. That is, of course, the in crowd with Steve Morse on guitar. The full CD is going to be coming out this Friday. Um, and it's basically, it's an Ernie Ball, who's, you know, one of these big-time guitar makers. And Steve Morris plays an Ernie Ball. And he um, he put an album out that's got a trio of shredding Steves on it. It's got uh, Steve Morris, Steve Vai, and Steve Lukather, along with Albert Lee and Jay Graydon, um, who's a studio guy that did uh, a whole bunch of those smooth solos for Steely Dan. So that's five guitars to get the job done, and then some, on one CD. So it's the Mutual Admiration Society, and that CD's coming out this Friday. So I'm totally looking. I'm going to be playing this shit out of You can expect to hear more stuff from that CD on the Groovathon, okay, this year. There's no question about that. Before that, Johnny Highland, Call Me the Breeze, the old Skinner uh, song there from his new CD, Standing Strong. I played some Johnny Highland uh, before. I'm a big fan of his. Before that, Albert Collins, Gary Moore, Too Tired. That is the live version of the uh, Johnny Guitar uh, Watson song. Um, Moore and Collins uh, did an album uh, back in 1990. Well, actually, it was was Gary Moore's album, but uh, Albert Collins played on it, and that was the album uh, Still Got the Blues, which came out back there. And they they did a video for that as well, as I recall. Before that, Boogaloo. Joe Jones, just the name alone, like, you know, that's the kind of name where if I see it on YouTube, I'm just going to play it because that name, you know, Boogaloo Joe Jones, come on, that is Brown Bag from Right On Brother 1970, he came out, he's a South Jersey boy, actually, does a lot of uh, guitar work, he's a lot of studio work, and kicking off the set, Mark, the Marcus King Band, What's Right, from their uh, Due North four-song EP that came out in October, uh, Warren Haynes, uh, produced this, and it's all four songs are killer. They're supposed to be coming out. These four, the the four songs that are on this EP, are supposed to be coming out on a new Marcus King Band full length CD that I believe is going to be coming out this this uh, this year in 2018. Uh, you know, we can only hope. But the the four song CD is fabulous. A couple of quick notes: the Tucson Jazz Festival kicked off this past weekend. So shout out to my brother Dan. All right, yeah, Dan. And this is one every year I look forward to this. And the best thing is, is I figured out because I don't get the Velocity channel. But because okay. I have Xfinity, okay, I can go onto their website, punch in my, uh, my you know, Xfinity and my zip code, mm-hmm. okay, and I get it on the computer because this is the week of the Barrett-Jackson auto auction in Scottsdale. Oh. I live for this shit. Really? I, I fucking, I've been to it. I mm. went to the Barrett this back in '93. Right, this shit is incredible. I, I, the Friday and Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday night uh, auctions, the cars, the Hemi Cudas in like you know matching numbers with low mileage, you know, two million dollar car, Hemi Cuda convertibles and stuff. I love the Barrett Jackson auto auction, and this is far and away. The, the auction that takes place uh, out in Scottsdale, it's, uh, it's a place out there called Westworld, which is where they do it now, is without question the best collector car auto auction on the planet every year. Hands fucking down. So I am so looking forward to that. I am so looking forward to that. I'm wearing my uh, shirt yeah, from, that's uh, from Vanishing Point. There. Yeah, from Vanishing Point. I got one for Dave, too. All right, I got him uh, one, so when I pop over there, and that's, you know, Dave, 
they, you know, um, Barrett Jackson mm-hmm. does a, they used to only do the Scottsdale one. Now they have one in Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. They have one in Vegas. I think those are the three. There might be a fourth one, but I think those are the three. The one that matters is the one in Scottsdale. The one in Palm Beach that was, uh, I guess about the last year's one in Palm Beach. Dave had a, uh, Chevelle. 70, okay. a 71 Chevelle. And if you're familiar with Barrett Jackson, the, the, the top cars, the, the ones that everybody's drooling over, mm-hmm. okay, they get auctioned off on Friday and Saturday night of the right. auction. Dave Chevelle was auctioned off on a Saturday night. He was on TV. He was on, they brought him oh, on the stage. Nice. It went for the, it went for somewhere in the mid seventies. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, you know, if that doesn't tell you something, that's when you know that the, that, you know, your mechanic, is doing something right. When they're auctioning off something he put together on a Friday or Saturday night at Barrett-Jackson, if it's Barrett-Jackson worthy on the weekend, that's my guy. Excellent. So I'm totally looking forward to that. It starts, I guess the actual auctions start uh, Wednesday. They used to start Thursday, but now they're even longer. I'll tell you, you know, you can when you go to this thing, because I went, like when I was living in Phoenix in 93, you can go on like Wednesday and Thursday, okay? And if you go there during the day, they're auctioning off cars, for like fifteen or twenty grand, something like that. That are the kind of cars, you know, we dream about. Yeah. You know. Okay. And they're not numbers matching. They're not in you know showroom condition because if they were, they'd be you know a couple hundred thousand. But you can get them, and you can go there, buy the car, register the car, insure the car, drive it off the lot, drive it nice. right there, and it's cool, man. Very you know, nice. I live for that shit. So hey. You know what? You got your money's worth. We were we took two very long breaks. We had mm-hmm. a three week break, and then this time it was like a, a I think a two and a half to three mm-hmm. week break, something like that. But what'd you get? You got three three solid hours. Right. Lots of groove. Lots of groove. Lots of me yakking away on stuff that's been building up over the last month and a half. You know what am I going to say? You know, we're going to get you out of here because I didn't even it didn't register with me. That it was uh, MLK Day today. Right. Until yesterday mm-hmm. when I was talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, I'll shoot that in the mail to you tomorrow. Oh, wait. It's Martin Luther King Day. I can't. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I was like, oh, shit. I put the show together. You know, it was already together. However, we came up with a solution. Indeed. Indeed. You know, this is why This is why I say over and over, I fell ass backwards into greatness with you, man. I, I you know... I would just be a babbling idiot trying to press buttons and play. play Oh, then shucks. You're the talent. Don't forget. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm the prop. You're the talent. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you something. That is good. I can already feel my head swelling. Okay. Okay. And then the second I play, the second you start playing this song, I promise you will say something (laughs) to me to bring me back down to earth. And that's why I love you so much. To a bigger hat. (laughs) To a bigger hat. Wow, this one's adjustable. (laughs) I'm wearing my war hat here. You know, Mm -hmm. I like that. Hey, man, alien of books. There we go. I'm going to come back again. Hopefully, in two weeks, get back on schedule again, and I'm going to try and do the exact same thing again, just a little teeny bit better so we're going to get you out of here with uh you know a song that is appropriate for the day mm-hmm. a love song yeah it's a love song absolutely in the tony bennett tradition <laughs> okay as always though for myself and los georges it is peace and aloha good night mom
deserve a fitting for a king. I'm waiting for the time when I can get to Arizona, but my money is spent on a goddamn ring. Neither party is mine, not the jackass or the elephant. 20,000 Nicky Nicky brothers in the corner of the cell block, but they cover California. Population is none in a desert and sun with a gun running things under his thumb. Staring hard at the postcard, isn't it odd and unique? People smile while in the heat of 120 degrees Cause I wanna be free What's a smiling face when the whole state's racist? Why well, I wanna holiday, damn it, cause I wanna So if I celebrate it, standing on the corner I ain't drinking no 40, drinking time with a nine Till we get some land, call me the trigger man Looking for the governor, huh, he ain't loving you high But hear the trouble, yeah, he's rubbing you wrong Get the point and come along, he can get you the joint Hey, you're a on the state while I was kicking this song Yeah, you better be fair The sucker over there He tried to keep it yesteryear The good old days The same old ways that kept us dying and Yes, you, me, myself, and I Indeed, what he need is a nosebleed Bit between the lines And think you see the lie Politically planned And understand that's all she wrote When we see the real side To hide behind a boat And they can't understand why he the man Who's singing by the king They don't like it when I decide to make it Wait, I'm waiting for the day For the man who demands respect Cause he was great Come on, I'm on a one mission To get a politician to honor Or he's a donor by the time I get to Arizona Time I get to Arizona. So 